We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. They just continue to take orders from Donald Trump, their puppet master-in-chief, who has directed them uh, to persecute and to go after uh, Joe Biden, which may take the form of an illegitimate impeachment inquiry. Ah, yes. Hakeem Jeffries, who was raged largely by his um, radical extremist anti-Semite uncle. Uh, He's a Democrat uh, leader. And uh, what is he, uh, co-chair the DNC or the Biden campaign or whatever the hell he is? There are so many of them. It's a, it's a minefield out there. Yeah, that's what's going on. He was on CNN spreading propaganda. Speaking of which, at the University of North Carolina, there was a, uh, a shooting yesterday. And uh, it was a very confusing situation for hours. But it did turn out that a University of North Carolina faculty member was shot and killed in a lab at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And the suspect was taken into custody alive and, and well. UNC faculty member killed in campus shooting, suspect in custody, the radical left-wing Washington Post propaganda outlet of the Democrat Party. A faculty member was dead, and a person was in custody Monday after a shooting that shut down the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for three hours and sparked urgent warnings for students to take shelter. It was lockdown. It was like Wuhan because there was a lockdown. Classes started a week ago, but the shooting led to terror and an eerie quiet during what is usually a joyous and exciting time on the campus. This is truly a tragic day for our campus community, Kevin M. Guskowitz, Chancellor of UNC Chapel Hill, said in an afternoon news conference. Officials did not release the name of the suspect because he had not yet been charged or the victim whose next of kin were being notified by authorities. First 911 call about the shooting at Caudill Labs, a centrally located facility that focuses on chemistry, came at about 1.02 p.m., University of North Carolina Police Chief Brian James said at the same news conference. Scores of police officers from other agencies descended upon the campus, some in armored vehicles, which Joe Biden is against because he thinks police shouldn't have armored vehicles so they could be shot more easily by criminals. While a helicopter buzzed overhead, school leaders quickly canceled classes. The shooting came two days after gunmen in Jacksonville, Florida, completely unrelated news, went to Edward Waters University, a historically black college, before killing three people. Now, uh, it also happened hours after three black teenagers were murdered in Washington, D.C. by other black people. But the Washington Post didn't add that, interestingly enough. 
And uh, since they decided to bring race into it because they're such racists, let me get to uh, what actually happened at the University of North Carolina there yesterday. Because WRAL, the uh, local news television in uh, Raleigh, actually reported the news. And it turns out that the gunman taken into custody who murdered who murdered a uh, faculty member at the University of North Carolina is a Chinese national and a Chinese student named Tai Lei Qi, uh, T-A-I-L-E-I, second name Q-I. Tai Lei Qi is uh, there studying applied physics, a graduate student from China who, listen, graduated from Wuhan University and also got another degree at the Louisiana State University. Police have not named Key, but WRAL reported that he was the person taken into custody because they're reporting the news and the Washington Post isn't. So the UNC Chapel Hill shooting suspect arrested one faculty member dead after a three-hour campus lockdown, and it is a Chinese, not a Chinese-American, a Chinese uh, student uh, here in the United States studying, and uh, he murdered a faculty member in a laboratory uh, on the campus. He eventually surrendered, which is best, and is in custody, and he uh, got his first degree from Wuhan, from Wuhan University. Just amazing. Doctoral student charged in the murder from Wuhan to LSU to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, murders a faculty member in a laboratory there. And um, it turns out the person he killed was apparently his advisor on the campus. And um, he was actually uh, taken into custody live on television. I think it was WRAL that was live when he was taken into custody. 34-year-old Tai Lei Ki, doctoral student, you know, the Unabomber was a doctoral student to environmentalists, environmental studies, the Unabomber, but pay no attention to that. Professor Zhe Yan, also Chinese, was identified as the faculty victim who was killed. Key was charged uh, first-degree murder, possession of a weapon on an educational property. You know, that's really the stinger, isn't it, don't you think? You murder somebody, and then they got, and it's illegal to have a gun on campus. That'll add another 90 days to your life sentence. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're such idiots. That, I mean, honestly, what, what kind of idiots do we have running the show? Um, and the, then the response is, I don't know how many kinds are there. That's uh, the old, I think it might be a Marx Brothers thing. What kind of an idiot do you think I am? I don't know. How many kinds are there? As, uh, as the response. But honestly, just amazing. And there was an amazing moment yesterday on the Fox News Channel that was, again, I don't know how they do it, but they, they take horrible situations, murders and school shootings and things, and, and they, they make them funny. How do they do it? Or at least they find a way to get a laugh out of it because they're nuts, I think, is the explanation. But the Fox News Channel yesterday was talking about the shooting at uh, the University of North Carolina when it was still an active shooter and, um, and all of that good stuff. And they were looking for the, the killer, and we didn't even know if there was anyone killed at that point. But they, uh, the, 
the Fox News people, they have what they call a lower third graphic or a Chiron, right? The lower third of the of the screen is covered with graphics. And Fox News had Shooter described as, quote, mostly white Asian male, end quote. That's the screen on Fox News. Shooter described as, quote, mostly white Asian male, end quote which was a racist lie, but they love hating the white guy, don't they? Honestly, I'm telling you people out there, one of these days we're going to turn off the electricity. That's it. No more air travel, no more phones, no electricity for you. So, you know, we don't ask uh, much. But it's, uh, this reminds me of the New York Times. Remember when uh, George Zimmerman was violently attacked by Trayvon Martin on his own property. He was the neighborhood watch guy. And Trayvon Martin, who was like a member of the local fight club and had the burglary tools and the women's jewelry in his backpack and was and had all this stuff. And he, he was talking to his friend Rachel Jantel on the phone and told her that a gay guy was following him. So he hung out the phone logs show. Trayvon Martin hung out for another six minutes or so waited for George Zimmerman, the neighborhood watch guy, to show up because he saw this guy lurking and hiding in this this condo complex. And then Trayvon Martin attacked him and slammed his head against the sidewalk, the concrete sidewalk and the blood and, you know, busted the skin on the back of George Zimmerman's head and stuff. And then it turned out that George Zimmerman, the neighborhood watch guy, had a pistol, a legal concealed carry permit, and he shot Trayvon Martin, who was there to be, it was gay bashing, right? It was homophobia. And that's the only case of actual homophobia I've ever seen because Rachel Jantel explained uh, when she was, who she was, CNN, I think, explained that, um, you know, uh, Trayvon wasn't that way, right? And he was, you know, gay. And he was going to, he was afraid that the neighborhood watch guy, George Zimmerman, was going to follow him home and rape his little brother. That's homophobia. That's the only case of homophobia that I can cite, and it's Trayvon Martin, right? And then the New York Times identified George Zimmerman as a white Hispanic, as a white Hispanic, because they wanted to blame a white guy, right? Because uh, Trayvon Martin was black, so they wanted to blame a white guy. So they made him, and he's uh, like fully Hispanic family, George Zimmerman, but is fully Hispanic family. But they identified him as a white Hispanic because they didn't want it to be a Hispanic guy killing a black guy. They wanted it to be a white guy killing a black guy because the news media wants race riots like Charles Manson wanted and like the Democrat Party wants today. And, of course, the New York Times is a part of the Democrat Party. So when uh, Fox News put up this uh, thing, we were, my, uh, my Michael and I and uh, Randy and Kevin and others were passing around this screen grab, shooter described as mostly white Asian male. <laughs> and it turns out he's uh, apparently 100% Chinese. He's not only not mostly white, he's not... Um, uh, 49% white. He's not 32% white. He's not 1% white. He is a Chinese foreign exchange student who murdered his also Chinese counselor at the University of North Carolina in a laboratory while he was working on his doctorate, his PhD, right? And um, mostly white Asian male. This is, they're demented. These are, you know, we need to take the country back from the demented. We need an anti-demented movement. 
And another discussion we were having at, uh, at Newsmax yesterday, getting ready for my 9 p.m. Eastern television show on Newsmax. And I, I think I brought this up here also, but we need to talk about this more. There are a number of crises ongoing in the United States of America right now. One of them is black people being murdered. More than 9,900 black people were murdered in the United States last year alone. We're expecting a number greater than that this year. That number is greater than the number of African Americans that died in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, as you know, went on from 1959 to 1975 was the last American killed. But in one year, more African Americans are killed on the streets of the United States in murders than there were African Americans that died in the entire Vietnam War. Okay, So let's take that into account. That's a crisis. Second crisis. Almost all of them are murdered by other black people. That is another 9,000 or so murderers every year in the United States that are African American. That is huge. Another crisis, and we've got a crime crisis across the country that goes from carjacking to looting, which the Democrats, looting has, has been made okay by the Democrats. In California, you can steal up to $950 of merchandise from any store and know that you're not going to face any consequences because Democrats, right? Crime is a crisis in the United States. Murder is a crisis. Black-on-black crime, not allowed to say that, is a crisis in the United States. There are no leaders speaking about this. None. Not a leader leading on this issue. Black, white, otherwise. Nobody. Okay? There is another crisis. Mental illness in the United States. I've played the audio for you of John F. Kennedy in 1963 talking about how we had, at that time, 550,000 or so people in mental institutions. Today, our population is about 130 million more people than it was in 1963. And now we have about 50,000 to 70,000 people in mental institutions. All right? About 500,000 fewer than we had when our population was much smaller. There is a mental health crisis in the United States. My best girl and I walked to dinner the other night. We walked by seven deranged, glassy-eyed we counted them, mentally ill people wandering the streets of Washington, D.C., some with no shoes, with torn-up clothing, um, uh, staring off into space, 1,000-yard stare, not capable of fending for themselves. And what we've done in the United States is we throw them out in the street to fend for themselves. Eventually, they commit crimes, and they're thrown in jail. And that's what we do. That's a crisis. In every city in America and beyond, that is a crisis. And there is nobody leading on this. Not the president, nobody in Congress, no governors, no mayors, no mental health officials, no black leaders, no white leaders, no, nobody is leading on this. Mental illness, homelessness, another crisis in America, mostly having to do with mental illness and also with drugs. And there is nobody leading on any of these issues in the United States of America. These are all crises facing our country, and there is no leadership to be found anywhere. Just saying. You know, President Biden has a scurrilous plan to introduce the digital dollar to inflict the digital dollar. It's already underway. And it's important to understand the potential consequences of the digital dollar because contrary to what they're telling us, this is not in our best interest at all. And time is of the essence, so taking action now is the smart play. You can help protect your savings, your retirement, your family, 
from the risks of Biden's digital dollar by diversifying with gold and silver IRAs. Time to call the experts at American Alternative Assets. Call them today at 888-4-GOLD-20. That's 888-446-5320. They'll give you all the guidance you need on safeguarding your retirement savings. Say no to Joe Biden's digital dollar. Call 888-4-GOLD-20. That's 888-446-5320. Individual results may vary. There is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Seek your own legal, tax, investment, and financial advice before opening an account. Wow, wow. You know, just saying. Somebody's got to, you know, what would political leadership look like if uh, if we had it? Honestly. Shooter described as mostly white Asian male. Hey, it's Chris Plant. Excited to tell you about our July 2024 Listener Sea Cruise. We'll be sailing around the British Isles, visiting Scotland and Ireland. Please join us. Book by this July 31st for extra savings. Visit ChrisPlantCruise.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I have in my hand a most remarkable story from the radical Washington Post owned by information oligarch and Democrat Party slave Jeff Bezos. They have a person at the Washington Post that goes by the name Jennifer Rubin. She is purported to be one of their conservative voices, which is laughable on its face. She has a story today. The headline is, Can States Remove Trump from the Ballot? Question mark. Yes, comma, they might. That's the headline. Now, wait a minute. What is this about? Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post, who's a Democrat Party apparatchik who I think at one point pretended that she was somewhere to the right of center, but never really was. And she's got this, uh, you know, three-page piece when you print it out, as we've done here, uh, in which she makes an argument using left-wing legal voices, makes an argument that Democrat secretaries of state ought to invalidate President Trump's candidacy and disallow his name from the ballots uh, in those states. And interestingly, she singles out Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, where Democrat secretaries of state may already be involved in an insurrectionist movement, in seditious conspiracy to deprive President Trump of his right to be on the ballots in those states, which would naturally lose the presidential election, win it for the Democrats. You know how that goes. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, seditious conspiracy. Jennifer Rubin is engaged in a seditious conspiracy with left-wing lawyers. Can states remove Trump from the ballot, is the headline, with a question mark. Yes, comma, they might. Jennifer Rubin, Washington Post, highly paid fake journalist. Rarely do legal scholars compel government officials to embark on an unprecedented and highly consequential course of action. Stupid opening sentence. But that's precisely what William Bowd and Michael Stokes Paulson, authors of a new law review article regarding Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and the intellectual powerhouse duo of former Judge J. Michael Luttig and Lawrence H. Tribe have done. Tribe is a left-wing, Trump-hating Harvard law professor. In a remarkably short time, they have driven home the implications of Section 3, that all officials with a role in the presidential election process must consider disqualifying former President Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot if they find he, quote, either engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution or gave aid and comfort to the enemies of that Constitution. Like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama? Secretaries of State certainly have heard them loud and clear. Michigan Secretary of State Joycelyn Benson, a Democrat, appeared on MSNBC, where I am a contributor, she writes. Quote, emphasized her plan to consider the issue exclusively based on applicable law without partisan consideration. Laugh out loud, that's where the laugh track comes in on MSDNC. Expressing concern that this issue could become weaponized in future elections, you think? As legal scholar Edward B. Foley noted, Benson also indicated she would be conferring with secretaries of state in Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Wait a minute, she's the Secretary of State in Michigan. She wants to consult with Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania where there were noteworthy irregularities and challenges in the last presidential election. But she smartly recognized that whatever she and other secretaries decide, the issue will undoubtedly travel to the Supreme Court for a final determination. And they're furious that they don't control the Supreme Court like they have for so long to get crooked rulings in favor of their party and not the Constitution or the law. Likewise, New Hampshire Secretary of State David Scanlon, a Republican, recently said, and listen to this, it's cold legal thought from the Republican and not political zeal. He said, when somebody makes a reasoned argument argument about what those provisions mean, I feel an obligation to at least listen to them. He added, a decision of that magnitude, that's a decision of deciding that somebody is not qualified to run, a person, is extraordinary. And it really has to be treated with that degree of importance. See how that's just cold legal analysis and the rest of them are like uh, running into walls and throwing stacks of paper into the air and panicking about how they can stop Trump, stop Trump, regardless of the law and the Constitution? Mm -mm 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 Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. 
That attitude serves as a model, not only for secretaries of state, but also other officials. Now, listen to this. Um, She is uh, pushing, and these left-wing legal types are pushing the idea that they should, where they control the Secretary of State's office in states across the United States, they should take action, and not within the parameters of the Constitution or the law, of course, to keep President Trump off the ballot. Now, if President Trump were off the ballot in in one of these states, it would likely tip the balance of the election. And that constitutes a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the electoral process of the United States of America. And the Democrats are just out here bare naked in the light of day discussing it uh, as though it's just fine for them to engage in a seditious conspiracy to collude out in the light of day in the open. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. But that's what they're pushing at the Washington Post. And uh, Jennifer Rubin, uh, gums, they call her gums. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's, their, that's your Democrat Party. The Democratic Party isn't. Speaking of which, it turns out that David Weiss collaborated. He is the special counsel appointed after being the U.S. attorney for the state of Delaware, spending five years going nowhere with a Hunter Biden and Biden family corruption investigation, just going nowhere. And then smoothing it over in a couple of weeks ago, dropping even the misdemeanor tax charges against Hunter Biden when nobody was looking and the news media was fine. But now new emails have emerged showing that David Weiss, the man investigating President Trump, the man supposed to be investigating actually Hunter Biden, Emails show that David Weiss collaborated with the Department of Justice to subvert House probe into Hunter Biden case, the guy that he's supposed to be investigating. The Department of Justice intervened on behalf of Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss to respond to a congressional inquiry related to its probe into the Biden family business, emails unearthed from a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit show. The collaboration raises questions about whether Weiss's responses to congressional investigators were under the direction of the Department of Justice, and if Weiss and the DOJ colluded to mislead Congress. Now, why would that be a problem? No big deal. Not a thing. Well, the Biden White House keeps telling us that it's all very independent. The Justice Department is free and independent to do whatever they want. And David Weiss, even though he worked with uh, Bo Biden and and all of this uh, good stuff, uh, just just amazing, amazing stuff. We've got more emails, as a matter of fact. There are all kinds of email stories today. But these emails, the Freedom of Information Act request, a lawsuit, to get the, and not undertaken by the Washington Post or the New York Times, by the way. But the Federalist is reporting on it. Did the Department of Justice Office of Legislative Affairs respond to Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson in May of 2022? Their letter seeking information concerning the Hunter Biden investigation. Because that would not be independent. That would be Joe Biden's Justice Department, Joe Biden's 
Attorney General, Joe Biden's family being investigated, and they're all in cahoots in a, dare I say, seditious conspiracy. And here we go again. It takes years and years and years of investigations in Washington, D.C. before you ever get to anything. And uh, this isn't even the worst one. The worst one is the Jack Smith, and uh, because more emails, not uncovered by the New York Times or the Washington Post or by CNN, uh, that the Jack Smith people met at the White House with Joe Biden's Office of Legal Counsel And that the FBI joined in in the meetings, too, at least one of the meetings there. And all of this is, is truly extraordinary stuff, I've got to tell you. Uh, and President Trump is uh, blowing the whistle on the sleaze bags and the collusion. Trump accuses Jack Smith of, uh, and it's, you know, there's documentation. It's the White House logs. It's the White House visitor logs. Trump accuses Jack Smith's uh, political sleazebags of colluding with Biden's fascist thugs to indict him. It's all a big lie, President Trump said. And, uh, you know, using the language with a good deal of flair, as usual. But the visitor logs at the White House are telling the story. And it turns out that there were apparently three meetings with uh, Jack Smith's a senior staffer for Jack Smith, going to the White House, meeting with a senior staffer for Joe Biden's uh, Office of Legal Counsel, and that the FBI sent a representative from the Washington field office at one point, and this again looks like seditious conspiracy, to railroad President Trump. And somehow all of this is okay, right? Uh, because the Washington Post could care less. Let's go to uh, let's go to some some audio. We've got uh, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of crazy. I'm uh, I'm telling you, we got some Uzbeks too. You think we'll get to the Uzbeks? I want to get to the Uzbeks today too. All right, Joe Biden. Let's go to Joe Biden because um, everything he says is BS. All right, let's go to let's go to soundbite number two of Joe Biden from yesterday. And uh, Joe Biden was uh, was was. Speaking, therefore, he screwed up, and he uh, came up with this ridiculous big lie that he personally, when he was in the Senate, convinced racist Democrat Senator Strom Thurmond, who was a hero of Normandy and D-Day in World War II, but never mind that, to vote for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, which is completely crazy. Because to start with, Joe Biden wasn't in the Senate in 1964. Um, and secondly, Strom Thurmond didn't vote for the Civil Rights Act in 1964. But other than that, it uh, seems like a good story that Joe Biden convinced Strom Thurmond to vote for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Pause for just a moment. I thought things had changed. I was able to literally, not figuratively, talk Strom Thurmond into voting for the, for the Civil Rights Act before he died. And I thought, well, maybe there's real progress. But hate never dies. It just hides. It hides under the rocks. It, uh, what? It hides, it hides under the rocks. This is the guy who didn't want his kids going to school in the racial jungle, am I right? Isn't that the uh, thing? Yeah. Biden claims to have, quote, literally 
and, quote, convince Strom Thurmond to vote for a Civil Rights Act at 21 years old, is the headline at the Fox News Channel. Biden also claimed the feat happened, quote, before Thurmond died in 2003, which would make sense because, you know, the Civil Rights Act was 1964. So President Biden on Monday claimed to have, quote, literally, end quote, convinced South Carolina Democrat turned Republican much later in life, Senator Strom Thurmond to vote for the Civil Rights Act when Joe Biden was just 21 years old. I was able to literally, not figuratively, talk Strom Thurmond into voting for the, for the Civil Rights Act before he died. Before he died. Well, it'd be hard to vote for it after he died, particularly given the timeline here. This man is not up to the task, all right? Remember when Joe Biden said that, uh, he, he, that he, he might fall ill one day and have to leave the presidency? This was, a, uh, this was a wacky thing that Joe Biden said. When was it? In 2020 that he said it? 2021? It was, 20, it was after he was inaugurated uh, in his first year as president. When we disagree, it'll be just like, so far, it's been just like when Barack and I did. If, if, if I reach something where there's a a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Yeah, he'll develop some disease and say that he's got to resign. That's, uh, that's pretty wacky, isn't it? He's, uh, he's going to have to. He's already got a plan in place, which is good. It's the only plan he has in place, but, but that's true. You know, uh, the Republican majority leader, Steve Scalise, was shot and nearly killed by a Bernie Sanders volunteer by the name of James Hodgkinson, who went out to that baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, hoping to kill every Republican on the baseball field. It was a suicide attack by James Hodgkinson. But Steve Scalise was shot and nearly killed. Uh, he was using a Chinese combat rifle, an SKS, uh, the Democrat presidential campaign volunteer was, James Hodgkinson. Well, Steve Scalise has put out a statement today uh, with more bad news. He said, in the statement, after a few days of not feeling like myself this past week, I had some blood work done. The results uncovered some irregularities, and after undergoing additional tests, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a very treatable blood cancer. He said, I've now begun treatment, which will continue for the next several months. I expect to work through this period and intend to return to Washington, continuing my work as majority leader and serving the people of Louisiana's first congressional district. He said, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful we were able to detect this early and that this cancer is treatable. I'm thankful for my excellent medical team and with the help of God, support of my family, friends, colleagues, and constituents, I will tackle this with the same strength and energy as I have tackled past challenges. So uh, Steve Scalise, you know, God bless, and and the very best, uh, his cancer treatments are better and better and better, aren't they? And um, hopefully Steve Scalise will will be well. Also remembering... uh, we talked yesterday about the anniversary, the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King, the March on Washington, the I Have a Dream speech. And 
Should remind that Martin Luther King was assassinated by a Democrat Party presidential campaign volunteer as well, James Earl Ray, who was a California volunteer for the presidential campaign of racist Democrat George Wallace. You know, the Democrats get to erase their history by omission and by commission. But I'm here to remind. It's important to remember. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. not, CNN has a story that is newsworthy. Uh, it's only online. I don't know if they're talking about it on TV. It's an exclusive by Katie Bo Lillis. Katie Bo. Hi, Katie Bo. Smuggler with ties to ISIS, the radical Islamic terrorist death cult. Smuggler with ties to ISIS helped migrants enter the U.S. from Mexico, raising alarm bells across the government. The FBI investigating more than a dozen Uzbek nationals allowed into the United States after they sought asylum at the southern border, thanks to the Biden administration. Earlier this year, a scramble set off when U.S. intelligence officials found that the migrants traveled with the help of a smuggler with ties to ISIS, according to multiple U.S. officials. While the FBI says no specific ISIS plot has been identified, officials are still working to identify and assess all of the individuals who gained entry to the United States, according to a statement from the National Security Council spokesman, Adrian Watson. Oh no, more Uzbeks in the country. you got to look out for Uzbeks being smuggled in by ISIS. Not a big deal. Uh, it's the Biden administration, so the news media will ignore it, you know. Uzbeks, ISIS, pay no attention. That's right. That was Hey Yorgi. And uh, Yorgi came out to his car and found that Uzbeks had uh, drunk his battery fluid with elbow straws. But that's not important. Do you see the uh, crazy Democrats? The crazy Democrats laying in traffic because of the weather. And in Nevada, there was an incident. The video is hilarious if you haven't seen it. Because this uh, annual festival, Burning Man, is going on out there in the desert in Nevada. Burning Man climate protest leads to traffic jam. The traffic was backed up literally for miles and miles over the rolling hills. And state rangers, the state police, showed up, and they were having none of this. Uh, one of them took his pickup truck, just ran over the barricade in the middle of the thing, jumped out, grabbed these people who were disobeying uh, lawful police commands, uh, threw them to the ground, pushed the guns in their faces, and uh, handcuffed him and arrested him. The environment. They're laying in traffic. They cut in the middle of the desert, a miles-long traffic jam. We're not violent. They're screaming. We're not armed. We're not violent. They're being dragged away. 
dragged away by the police in cuffs with guns in their face. That's the way it ought to go every day, blocking traffic. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.